For many years, I didn't understand. I was upset. I tried to hide it, tried to put on a mask, moved to, to Houston, another city, tried to put everything behind me that had happened before. Didn't want anyone to know my past. But I'm not hiding that anymore. It doesn't, it doesn't help anyone. You know, this is who I am. This is where I've been. And, and it's okay if you're there too. So how are you feeling about recording this? It's the first time sharing your story, I think. Yeah, um, I feel like, um, I feel really good about this. You know, I was, you know, nervous at first. Um, it's not every day you get asked to, to give your, you know, share your story in a podcast or get interviewed like that on a podcast. But um, it's challenged me um, to go back into to my past and my experience. And um, it's helped me to, um, to heal and to forgive. Forgive family members who shunned my immediate family and myself. Um, and uh, it's, it's really healed me a lot. I think it's super important for people talk, to talk about these experiences and not just put them under the rug mm -hmm. and try and forget about them. That is so powerful for anyone who listens, who's holding it all inside. And I've experienced that myself, as you know, um, just carrying it around and thinking, oh, it's just going to kind of, it'll just get better. Or it'll heal or I'll just work it through. And there's something really powerful about speaking, something really powerful about actually sharing it and speaking it aloud and having someone listen and even when I think about work as a support professional, such a big component of being a support professional is listening well and allowing people a safe space to share and to speak it, to speak what they've experienced. It's different when you speak it out loud. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Well, thank you for your courage and sharing. I want to go ahead and jump right in and start with. What faith system were you raised in? What did that look like for you? I was raised in the uh, Jehovah's Witness religion. Um, my mother was a Protestant Christian, and my father was Jehovah's Witness, and actually had letters from when she was 17 years old that she um, gave to him, begging him, you know, before they got married, um, to allow them to raise their children up half Jehovah's Witness and half Christ, uh, Protestant Christian. Um, she, uh, she was grounded in her beliefs. Um, her family did forbade, they forbade the marriage between her father, I'm sorry, my father and her. He was um, a Jehovah's Witness and, and, uh, and he was also um, in their eyes, lower, lower class, lower middle class, you know? Um, and so they, they just didn't want that for her. And, um, uh, yeah, it was rough from the get go, um, being in that religion as a child. So it sounds like your parents were not in agreement on their faith system then, correct? correct. They were two different pages. Yes. My mother, she, she did the things that, you know, that were required of her being submissive and, 
um, you know, not allowing us kids to participate in sports, Pledge of Allegiance, um, so much stuff that we couldn't do. Um, but she never converted in her heart. Mm. And I'm just curious, how do you know? Did you and she talk about that as you grew up? Yeah. Um, well, <clears throat> my dad was disfellowshipped around the age of six. Uh, I was six or seven years old. And um, it was just absolutely devastating for him and for our immediate family and how our other family members treated us. They shunned us. It was, um, and what we went through, it was, it was horrible. Um, and around the age of nine, my mother um, begged my father if she, she and I could go to a church across the street. It was a Methodist church. And um, that's where I met Jesus. And all along, she, she would talk to me about Jesus, you know, not as the witnesses would, you know, not, not as how they see him, but as her Lord and Savior. Um, I don't recall it, understanding it until I went to that church. And then after that experience and accepting the Lord, her and I grew closer together in the Lord. Mm. For anyone who's not familiar with being disfellowshipped, would you mind briefly saying, what does that mean for somebody? Mm -hmm. um, excommunicated, disfellowshipped, shunned. Um, I guess they would use the word excommunicated. Um, when, you know, a, a member of the Jehovah's Witness congregation does something that is sinful uh, that other members see, um, they ask that brother or sister to uh, go before a, I guess, a group of elders to, you know, to confess what they did and repent and go through the steps um, to get back into fellowship. Um, and if they don't take those steps, then uh, they have nothing to do with you. They shun you. And to them, that's being loving. I guess if they have fellowship with you, continue to have fellowship with you, then they are not being loving. They're letting you stay in your sin, enabling you to stay in your sin. Mm -hmm. And for people who are familiar with Matthew 18, and the format that we're given overall of, okay, if someone is sinned against you, go to them yourself. If, if there isn't reconciliation, go with more than one person. Um, and so we have this kind of escalation. And there is a point where it does say, basically excommunicate the person with the goal of reconciliation. So with the goal of bringing them back in and being welcoming. And this is an area that can get really confusing for people today where they can think, okay, I'm supposed to follow this exactly still in our culture. There's times where that's actually unsafe. If someone's been abused, they should not be going back to their abuser alone to try to reconcile. So again, we always need to take the Bible as a whole, and not isolate a certain passage. And we also need to take the culture at the time into account. So while I'm not disagreeing with Matthew 18, I think it's a great model. We also have to look at, well, and I'm not asking you this question right now, Amy, just so you know, but as an example, depending on what your dad did, does it even really fall into a category as a sin? Is that even true that it's sinful? Um, 
what did the reconciliation process look like? Was it one of seeking redemption, seeking restoration, or was it one of you just need to obey and we're not here to actually help you? And if you don't just obey, despite whatever you're going through, you're out and we may not even ever welcome you back. So there's just a lot of nuances to this. Um, so for anyone who's listening, who's familiar with Matthew 18, it may sound like that's what they were doing, but there'd be a lot more questions um, to ask to be sure that that's true. So I just want to give that little caveat um, to our listeners. And Amy, I'm just curious, how does that land for you, me saying that? Hmm. I think you're right. Um, and I'll just be honest with you. My father had, he had some, um, he was very introverted. And he had anxiety, depression. Um, he struggled with alcoholism, and he did not want to go door to door service. You know, it was painful for him. Um, he was struggling, mm -hmm. and um, you know, I understand the Great Commission. That's important, but you know, all the meetings and door to door service, um, it, uh, it it was a lot of pressure on my dad, and really. Should you disfellowship someone because of that? You know, I mean, there were some other problems too. You know, he uh, was a smoker and he drank um, and it got worse after we got shunned. It got really bad. Which is so sad to hear because that speaks to the sense of community actually being helpful and suddenly finding yourself isolated when you're already having a hard time. I think there's a lesson in there for everyone. Yeah, he, um, <clears throat> we were very poor, Naomi, very poor, four children sleeping in a bed and the parents in the other room. Um, he struggled a lot with his mental health, um, depression, anxiety, um, alcoholism, and when they left, it just, it was, it was horrible. And when they left, they, they left their nieces and nephews in that house to be abused. They didn't check on us. Mm -hmm. um, it's inhumane to treat someone like that. Someone mm -hmm. who's struggling with alcoholism and anxiety and depression just to leave them. Um, you need to come alongside that person and help them. You know, so it, yeah, it left us, uh, it, it left a big gaping hole in my father's heart. His family was his everything. And there was no support system after that. Um, and, it, and like I said, it just got worse. <laughs> he, made a, he made a friend and that friend abused our family. My dad didn't protect us from that. So yeah, it had had other um, ripple effects. Thank you for your willingness. It speaks so clearly to the harm that's done through some of these systems. Yeah, I mean, you know, there was no hey, you should go to counseling. Let's get you some counseling. Let's get you some help. You know, what can we do to help you? You know, there was none of that. And we didn't see them for another 20 more years. And then that was 
that's something else. <laughs> As you were going through this, did it overlap then with you and your mom going to the Methodist church nearby? It sounds like it did. Uh, my dad, even though he was disfellowshipped, he still held on to his beliefs, if that's what you're asking me. Um, yes, he was disfellowshipped, but he st still believed uh, what the witnesses believed. He never, uh, he didn't come to Christ until right before his passing. Um, yeah, we didn't, he, he didn't encourage us to seek higher education. Um, he didn't want his kids to do those things, um, to be a part of it, uh, sports, none of that stuff. And so, you know, we know my mother and I were going to a Christian church and I had found Jesus at a young age, you know, we still lived as witnesses in some ways. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you were internally a Christian and externally living like a Jehovah's Witness. In some ways, yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That resonates for me in ways of this life of duplicity, where you're kind of living two lives at the same time. What was your personal response to the Jehovah's Witness views as you became stronger of a Christian, as you continue to attend church, did you feel like inner turmoil or like you were at a battle? How was that for you? Mm. Well, you know, from the very beginning, I remember being taught by two women, you know, the watchtower, that was like our study time. Um, and so from a very young age, it was all fear, 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 you know, um, built into you. In the end of the world, I thought, I'm never going to get married. I'll never finish high school. I never had the chance. You know, the end of the world is going to come. I'll never be enough. You know, um, and I, I think I missed your, your question. Oh, you're fine. No, you're fine. I was wondering what it felt like for you to be kind of living a, a dual life to a degree of I'm attending this Methodist church and I'm hearing more about Jesus and the Christian faith. And then I'm coming home and I'm, you know, my father is identifies as the Jehovah's witness and I'm still, you know, held to some of those restrictions and some of that lifestyle. I'm just wondering what that felt like internally for you. I felt like, yeah. It's like a, almost like a double life in a way. You know, and to the point where, yeah, I tried to commit suicide a few times as a teenager, you know, had my stomach pumped. Um, I hated it. And the only person I could be honest with was my mother, not my father. Um, <clears throat> I didn't feel normal, you know, in some ways. Didn't have this traditional kind of upbringing that, you know, we want our kids to have. It was... Um, you know, I'm very, now I'm very grateful for it because it's helped me to relate to others going through difficult times, but, um, it was, um, it was very difficult watching the rest of my peers get involved with things. And meanwhile, I wasn't able to be a part of anything. And the kids who were Jehovah's Witnesses at my school, 
I also saw them going down the wrong road, getting into drugs, because they weren't allowed to be involved in anything, participate. Mm -hmm. And it was just, it's almost like you're foreign in a way, in a foreign country, not being able to participate in the culture. Right. And it, Amy, I'd imagine, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but I'd imagine that it was even more challenging for you because your family wasn't a part of the JW community either. Yeah. It's almost like you don't know where you belong. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What was your view of God through all of this? How did you view him? Yes, my my earliest memory of like just how I thought about God was I was standing in a field. I was a little girl standing in a field. And I remember looking at the sky and thinking, we must be in some sort of like snow globe, you know, because <laughs> it was in the 80s and snow globes were kind of popular. Um, and I'm thinking that, you know, he's watching us, but he's not he's not a personal God. You know, he's not uh, participating with this. Um I always knew he loved me. I always knew that, but I was, I was afraid. I was afraid. I would always do something wrong. Um, of course, that's always built in you from the beginning, you know, mm -hmm. is that fear. This might be a hard question to answer. So don't, don't answer it. If you're like, gosh, I haven't thought about that before. But I'm wondering how you knew that God loved you. And I'm asking because it's a question I've thought of myself with my own story of how did I never actually doubt that God existed? Even though I was so afraid of him, how did I? So it's something I've thought of myself. So I'm just wondering if, if you have an answer to that. How did you know that he loved you? Mm. <clears throat> this is a hard question. Hard is, it's hard not to cry. Um, you know, when, when my mother and I went to that Methodist church across the street, and there were only a few kids there, but there was a sweet lady named Miss Dorothy that taught us kids. And she said, well, your next step is, is dedication. Do you want to give your life to Christ? And we'll have a ceremony for you. And I was like, yeah, this is great. Because when I went to that church, I felt love, not necessarily from the people. They're wonderful people. But hearing about the message of Jesus Christ and how he loved people. And um, my, I had an aunt who attended that church and she bought me a, a beautiful white dress. And I'll never forget that day. I think I was maybe 10 or 11, but you know, putting that dress on and being in front of the congregation and giving my life saying, yes, I give my life to Jesus Christ. Um, I felt clean and pure and unblemished. I felt like he loved me and he valued me so much um, as his daughter. I've never felt that before. I'll never forget that. And I know some kids don't experience that at a young age. Maybe that's not normal in some ways, but when you see such a contrast at home, and you go to church and you hear the gospel, it resonated with me like nothing else and nothing ever would. Mm -hmm. I knew. Mm -hmm. I really appreciate your use of the word contrast. Mm 
It is such a contrast. It stands out so much in comparison to what our households can be like and the indoctrination we've gotten elsewhere. It's so different. And it's what we need. Do you remember just that feeling that of like, goodness, it really is like actually getting a glass of clean water for the first time. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can, you know, I was just thinking about it this morning, you know, kind of just going over everything and in my head and I'll never forget that, you know? Um, yeah. I had a father, I have a father in heaven who loves me. I am precious in his eyes. You are, you're right. I know as time went on, you told me before that you found yourself in what you've called a prosperity gospel church. Would you mind sharing how that came to be? Sure. Um, <clears throat> so my brother, my big brother, <laughs> um, he invited me to his church. It was a, a Baptist church at the time. And um, it was, it was very biblical. Um, I was involved in ministries there, the bus ministry, outreach ministry. I loved it. Um, I was being discipled and um, it was great. Until about two to three years into attending that church, um, our head pastor started heading down the road of, you know, the word of faith, prosperity, um, movement and um you know being discipled and those ministries that i was involved in we didn't have time for those things anymore it was more like we were busy putting on like events for you know healings and miracles and things to happen we were very busy doing those things but in the beginning it was an amazing church and I was disciple. I can, I can say in the beginning, I was discipled there and I'm very appreciative. And I still have contact with, um, a woman there who I saw as like a second mother in a way. Hmm. So what actually drew you to the church and about how old were you as mm -hmm. well? Were you, I think you told me you were a teenager. I was, yeah, I was in uh, late teens and, um, you know, I, I couldn't share with my dad that I was going to a Christian church. Um, and so every once in a while I would go with friends to a church. And yes, my mom still had a church that she attended across the street, the Methodist church, but you know, I was a teenager and there were no teenagers there, none. And so my brother invited me and um, I saw my brother just changed and I loved it because him and I, I knew where he came from and to see the change in him it was, it was pretty awesome. So I wanted that too. Um, so, uh, yeah, I love that church and I, I invited my friends and, um, I grew so much there and, um, I had Bible studies out of my home and actually at the end, not too soon, not too long after that, I actually got married to a former Jehovah's witness. Um, so we were both attending that church together. So it sounds like it was such a good experience. And even looking back now, you have a fondness for it. You have an appreciation for that period in your life. 
what ultimately made it turn? What, what kind of went wrong where you ended up going in a different direction? I don't know exactly what happened, like why our head pastor decided to leave this sound teaching and go extreme. You know, I do believe in miracles. I believe in healing. But he took it to another level and got deeper and deeper down into, you know, giving your best offer to the church. And you need to come work this event we're having this Friday over miracles and healing. And, um, yeah, it, it, uh, really was extreme. It was really sad. Even when Benny Hinn, his crusade came to our little town, uh, we were involved in that. And so he was, our pastor was, became, uh, I guess was under Benny Hinn in some ways. Okay. Um, and for anyone who doesn't know who Benny Hinn is, well, Amy, I might ask if you'll give a little explanation, but also we'll link something in the show notes just to give people a little more context about who he is. Um, in that world, he's a really major name. Yeah. So he is a TV evangelist. He's been around for a long time and he focuses on the, uh, the healing miracles, um, claims to be Christian. Um, I don't know. I don't know, but, um, it, it's really appealing to people. You know, if you're having, if you're going through a really hard time or, um, have a loved one who's sick and you need healing. I mean, if you see this on TV and you have no hope, turn the TV on and you see this, you know, you'll take it, you know? Um, and, um, he has, he actually has a nephew, Costi, uh, Costi Han, I believe his name is, a really good guy who um, left his uncle's ministry and um, is very open about the truth and, and that there's a lot of money to be made there. Mm-hmm. And um, towards the end of this, being involved with this church, um, it was about giving your best gift. If you're going through something, you need to give your best offering. And sometimes it came down to, and I was in college and working full-time at the same time and married. And um, I'm like, okay, do I pay this bill or do I send it in? Because at the time I was married to a man who was a, an alcoholic, just like my dad was. And so, you know, I was just trying my hardest to, just receive God's blessings. I wanted to receive his blessings. I wanted to earn his favor, just like the witnesses also tried to do, strive to do. Um, and I fell into that trap, you know, if, um, and also speaking positive, you know, which is kind of new age-ish in a way, you know, speaking positive words, only positive things, you know. Um, I loved the Lord with all my heart. Um, and I just wanted people to know him and know that too, that he died for them, you know, so they can be in relationship together. But, you know, I was just, um, just surrounded by all of this. It was just like, oh my gosh. And when I left, when I left that, that church, it was just like, oh my gosh, why do I keep on falling into these 
cause. I didn't, I didn't think of the word cult at the time. Mm-hmm. I just knew it was just wrong teaching. It was false. What was your view of God while you were a part of this prosperity phase of the church? How did you see him at that time? It sounds like you knew something was off. Mm-hmm. Well, like I said, my husband, he you know struggled with alcoholism. And I had the weight of just being the financial provider and going to college, just doing all these things that had a lot of pressure on me. And I felt like I'm doing all these things right, Lord. You know, I'm trying to live a good life. I wasn't trying to be like someone who was going to make a lot of money. I was actually going to school to become a social worker. You know, I wanted to help people. And I wanted my husband to, to be healed from alcoholism. And um, you keep on hearing, you know, you need to have faith. You need to have faith. You need to sow in your best offering. Give us your best offering. You know, do these things. God's going to turn it around. God's going to turn it around. God doesn't always turn it around. There is long suffering. My mother had to go through that. They didn't teach it. And they never talked about that anymore. That was no longer talked about at this church. Things had changed. And I started to believe that. And I believe that. I wasn't enough and I wasn't doing enough and I couldn't be helped. And after five years of being married to him, you know, I sought the counsel of our assistant pastor and he said, Amy, you've tried. Even had a counselor that I would see about this. And she said, you've tried. I tried. It's time to go. And it's okay. It's okay. Um, And after I left, I felt like, where do people like me go now? Because when I left, I moved to the city, <laughs> moved to Dallas. And, um, and I was like, where, where do the lonely people go? Where do the broken people go who cannot be fixed? Because I can't be fixed. And I... Um, You know, I would ask people, gosh, please tell me what church teaches from the Bible. That's all I want to know. Like what kind of Christian denomination teaches from the Bible? And then people would tell me, oh, you want to go Baptist, you know, (laughs) which was like the church I was going to, which changed. And, um, but yeah, for, for a while there, I really struggled. Naomi, I, I struggled. I remember just being new to Dallas, my surrounding area and just, driving on the highway and getting lost and crying, just looping around the city and just crying and not knowing, like, again, I have, I'm, I'm kind of stuck in the middle. I don't belong over here. I don't belong over there. I have nowhere. Where do I go? Mm-hmm. You know? And um, I moved in with an old high school friend, roommate. And, um, he, uh, we weren't good for each other. We got each other in trouble, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, he struggled. He, he was almost, he, um, hmm. he dated men Mm -hmm. and, um, he was in that lifestyle. I loved him. I still love him to this day. We still keep in contact. Um, but yeah, I, 
my only place where did I go I went to bars mm -hmm. I went to clubs I tried I tried getting my mind up okay I'm not doing social work anymore I'm not going to pers continue pursuing that degree I'm out of here I need to be focused on what the world tells me mm -hmm. is what you should be focused on and that's making money and feminism you know I even thought you know what Jeff we're gonna have a baby one day you want a baby I want a baby you'll have your own place I'll have my place and we'll just share our child and it'd be great like will and grace you know <laughs> um just these ideas we're just looking back now just like wow yeah pretty crazy but I just didn't know I didn't know and there isn't a way that you would have known. And I have similarities in my own story of things I went through. And so as you're speaking, I'm just, my heart hurts so much knowing that this happens over and over and over again. Like the harm that is done through false teaching, mm -hmm. where it lands people feeling like they don't fit anywhere. They still believe in God even oftentimes, but there's nowhere for me to go where are people who also believe in God, who aren't trying to manipulate me, who aren't trying to take something from me, who aren't saying, yeah, give me as much money as you can, because then your husband will be healed. Then your marriage will be saved. This is. It's horrifying. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing gospel about it. There is nothing biblical about it. I'm just sitting here and I'm so overwhelmed by the beauty of who you are and just how incredibly precious you are. And to know that you have been told over and over something in opposition to that is just completely unacceptable. And I feel so sorry on behalf of those who claim Christianity and aren't actually exercising, aren't actually living it. And we're not going to live it perfectly. I say it knowing that, but yeah. there are groups out there who are doing it so incorrectly that this is the kind of devastations that, that is left behind. I am I feel like I want to pause for like a moment of worship with you that you came out of that and that you're here. I'm so grateful and just thankful to God and to your willingness because Amy, you made a choice and I want people to pick up on this. You made a choice not to fully turn your back on God and the possibility of who he really is. And you didn't have to do that. And I want to, I want to pause and like, let people have that sink in because healing is a choice. Finding the truth is a choice. Those are choices that we get to make despite what wrongs people have done to us. And I don't say that without an enormous amount of empathy because I've lived it myself. It's an incredibly exhausting painful process filled with a lot of losses that ultimately lead to a lot of hope. Yes. Two things, exhausting. Yes. But leads to hope. Yes, mm -hmm. absolutely. Yeah. And how did that come to be for you? How did you find hope again? 
Hmm. That wasn't, that's another tough story. <laughs> um, so after I left that prosperity um, church, Word of Faith, it was like just a blend of stuff going on over there. Um, <laughs> um, my mom got news that she had cancer and I was really hurt. I felt just like, man, God, she was always the good one. She never smoked. She didn't drink. She was very natural. She was a beautiful woman inside and out. You could not leave her house without her telling you how proud she was of you or trying to feed you. She was amazing. Um, yeah, she had cancer. And um, she started chemo. And we were in contact with her doctors, my siblings and I were. We would do like these calls together. And, um, you know, and I, knew, I know you asked me one question, but I'm going to, I'll come back to it. I hope. Sure. <laughs> um, 20 years later, our family, who are still Jehovah's Witnesses, come back into my parents' lives. My dad's brother, he was very close to. Um, and his wife came back to my parents and said, you know, they, it was almost like, it's almost like they kind of pray on you when you're vulnerable. Mom and dad were in a horrible position. My mom was everything to my father. Um, he was very dependent upon her extremely. So it was unhealthy. And um, they prayed on that. And um, they didn't want, you know, they don't believe in blood transfusion. Um, which, you know, for her taking chemo, that was necessary. And so they talked her into going to um, a homeopathic kind of doctor um, out of uh, San Antonio, Texas. And um, it's not FDA approved. It's uh, something that's kind of done under the table. It's not right. And uh, my mom, my mother was a very natural person. And so that kind of interested her and they started doing that and they started hanging out with my parents my dad had that fellowship again that he had lost 20 years ago with his family his family again and for two years they sought after this treatment it was hours of being on the road going for this treatment and sadly um i feel like because she refused the chemo she did not recover and she passed and uh, for a, a long time there, I was upset because I felt like they denied her that treatment, which could have saved her life because of their beliefs, you know, and, and not uh, accepting blood transfusion. You know, people have died because of that. And um, it was just terrible. It was terrible. So mom passes and, um, my father had three years of living without her. Thankfully, my brother came alongside my brother and was ministering to him, even though my, my dad really didn't want to hear it. You know, he was still kind of a Jehovah's Witness. Um, but I had the chance two weeks before my, um, my dad passed. I said, Daddy, I know you don't want to talk about it, but can you just tell me, you know, is Jesus the Lord over your life? You know, have you accepted him to your heart? Is he the Lord over your life? And he said, yes. And um, 
two weeks later, he was gone. And so, you know, um, everything my mother did, you know, she'd impress my father for like, hey, you need to let the kids do sports, you know, let them, let them do these things, you know, be proud of them when they do well in school, you know, she lived it out. Um, she didn't give up my dad. She loved him regardless. And that led him to Christ. I'm so thankful for that. I remember when your husband came up to me when I met him in August. Um, so for anyone listening, I met her husband, Chuck, in August at what's called CIA training. It's with Cross-Examined. Um, and it's in a, a training in apologetics. And so we had to present a couple times something we had prepared and give each other, you know, constructive feedback and things like that. And Chuck came up to me the first day this happened and said, I really think you need to meet my wife. <laughs> um, and yeah, like we should, you know, kind of connect in some way after this. And what really got my attention is that the next day when we were all gathered today, gathered together again, he said it again and handed me a card. So I'm like, it's, it's been on his mind, you know, like he didn't just say it off the cuff and go home. And, um, like it was something that was definitely kind of tugging at him. It seemed like a bit and, you know, it took a while and good heavens. We've, when my son wasn't feeling well this morning, I told my husband, I said, I cannot, I can, I will not reschedule on this woman again. This would be like time number five that we would have rescheduled. Like this child is going to school. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, teachers. Yeah. It's like, he's not that bad. Um, and as I'm sitting here hearing your story, I'm just, I'm so personally impacted by it as someone who also lost her parents because of medical rules and restrictions and whose mom was also everything and looks back and is like, that could have been different. It didn't have to end that way. And again, these are the results of false doctrine. These are the results of false beliefs. And I want to be totally honest, Amy. I mean, I'm wondering how this feels to you when I say this. There's so much redemption in our lives here. There's so much that God can do and so much that he does do. There's so much beauty that comes out of pain and the ashes of our destruction. And there are certain things where I look back and I'm like, that one's irreparable. That one can't, there's, there's goodness to take from it, but I'm not getting her back in this life. And I have to live with that. And I think that speaks to just the long suffering that you mentioned earlier. You know, I can be restored in so many ways, but I can't, I can't bring someone back who's gone. There are some things that I'm not going to witness on this side of eternity. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. Um, he will use what the devil tried to harm, you know, harm us with. He'll use it for the good. We may not see it now. 
you know, we may see it 10, 20 years down the road. You know, we may not see it on the side of heaven, like you mentioned. Hmm. But he yeah. is using it. He is using it in some way. We just don't see it. I believe that. And I know you do too. And I'm and he tells us in his word, you know. And I'm grateful. It's it's this mix of the reality of some of these losses just fueling that fire of we have to keep working we have to keep talking about it we have to keep raising awareness and and serving and helping people to heal and working in the area of prevention so it's that knowledge that fuels this for me that awareness for myself that deep emotional connection to stories like yours while also again holding there's so much goodness that comes from it. And so it's just that pairing of both. And so for anyone who's listening, who maybe isn't really familiar with this work, isn't really familiar with these issues, maybe you're friends with Amy and you're listening for that reason. This is the first time you're really hearing her story. I, I hope that a fire is flamed for, you know, it's fanned for you. And there's a growing passion of, oh my goodness, you know, we need to be talking about these things. We need to be educating. We need to be coming alongside people and loving them well. And how do I do that? Um, hmm. um, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it also teaches me to um, know doctrine, sound doctrine, you know, um, to do my research, to read the word, you know, don't just listen to a sermon, go back and research if something didn't sound right. Um, and, you know, people who, Jehovah's Witnesses, I know people make jokes, oh, yeah, they knocked at my door, you know, whatever, you know, just making jokes, but those are people, those are broken people who are deceived, and mm -hmm. I did not not even want to talk about them for many years. Um, but this has really challenged me to go back and to do that and to do what he says to do and love people and forgive. And, you know, who knows? Maybe one day I'll have the chance to speak to a cousin, an uncle, an aunt about this, about just you know, their beliefs, um, or just even a stranger, you know, um, but I'm not going to turn my, I'm not going to close my door on a human being who is, you know, possibly seeking God, who is being deceived, you know, um, because I think you had mentioned in one of your podcasts before how these cults, yes, they prey on people. Some of them do like, oh, that's an easy target right there because she's divorced. She's a single mom, you know, um, or they just lost their wife. Um, so they're kind of an easy target, but, um, whoa, where was I going with this? <laughs> um, that person's also trying to just, they're trying to earn God's favor. Mm. You know, we don't have to do that. You know, we don't have to earn God's favor, but those are people who are being deceived and we should be sharing the gospel with them. You know, they spend Absolutely. so much time in their, their meetings, um, preparing, 
to speak to people and when they go on service and everything, um, knocking on doors and all that. Um, but we should be time, spend time in our Bible and understand, you know, do some research on them, understand them. Where are they coming from? You know, um, so we can reach them, you know, put a at least put a stone in their shoe, make it difficult for them, make it uncomfortable. Not just see them as, oh, they're hopeless, you know, or just, or like they're the enemy. If you're a Christian, they're not the enemy. We know who the enemy is. Mm -hmm. And you're right. Some, for some people it's intentional, it's intended, it's calculated. It's, you know, there are straight up cons out there yeah. who are after people. And there are also people who really believe it. And it's, it's not calculated. They're not intending to be manipulative. They really believe that that's the truth, that that's who God is. That's their way to salvation for themselves and for people that they love. And remembering to have compassion for that of someone's been lied to. And so exactly what you said, Amy, finding our love and our compassion and asking questions putting that stone in the shoe potentially. So maybe they think about it later. So yes, 100%. And part of it, you guys, is we don't always know which is which. And so we always treat it like the latter just to be safe. Yeah. What would you say from all of this that you've reflected on and the reflection you've been doing over the past several months, what do you think is something just really positive Something that maybe you're thankful for that's come out of all this mess. Hmm. Um, well, my husband and I were, um, hmm. we were turned on to a ministry, uh, Rosho Christi, uh, which means reason for Christ. And um, it, you know, just really helps students, college students, high school students to know what they believe, why they believe, um, give, give a reason for their, their faith, you know to understand their faith, to ask better questions. And um, I'll just say something real quick. In 20, uh, 2014, I had to have brain surgery. Either I was going to die or become paralyzed. Chuck's dad. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm laughing because all these horrible things were happening again in our lives. And um, it turned us to, to him again, once again, to the truth. And it put us in the, this ministry of seeking truth, you know, um, not just listening to, to something, oh, that sounds right. No, go do your research, you know, um, if this is, and, and I want to, now I try and teach my kids that too, you know, if, um, you know, if something doesn't sound right, go look at the Bible. The Bible holds full authority, you know? Um, and so, you know, I just, uh, again, I'm thankful for my mother and I see the long suffering. That was an example for me. And I think, I believe it led my, my father to Christ. That gives me hope. I saw this contrast at a young age, you know, I got to know Jesus at a young age and, um, and I love people who have been through like really, really, really hard times. Um, I have had a hard upbringing. Um, I have a heart for them. 
and I'm thankful because if it wasn't for my upbringing, my experiences, how could I relate? Mm -hmm. And so God will use, God will use what the devil meant for harm, you know, all these bad things. He'll use it for the good. It's part of who I am today. And I'm, I'm, and I'm happy with it now. Whereas for many years, I didn't understand. I was upset. I tried to hide it, tried to put on a mask, moved to, to Houston, another city, tried to put everything behind me that had happened before. Didn't want anyone to know my past. But I'm not hiding that anymore. It doesn't, it doesn't help anyone. You know, this is who I am. This is where I've been. And, and it's okay if you're there too, you know? And yeah, there's, there's truth. And, and, um, and uh, you know, God will reveal it to you. If you seek him, you know, he'll give you discernment and you will find it. You'll find him. I had someone recently say to me, you might get a kick out of this. <laughs> I had someone recently say to me, well, you know, this work is hard and it's not for everyone. And it kind of made me laugh because I thought, I'm not going to say that ministry work isn't hard, but it's what I lived through that God worked through that got me to ministry work. That was really hard. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm like, This is hard in a different way, but this is the good part because now I'm getting to use that lived experience and training and what God's redeemed. I'm getting to use that to love and serve others. I'm like, this is the redeeming part. Like, this is the good part. That's what was super hard. And again, I'm not saying that to minimize the challenges that come with ministry, Mm -hmm. But I'm like, it's not the same kind of heart. I was like, I'll take this half of the story any day. <laughs> no, that absolutely. That's right. You know, it's a different kind of heart. That's right. A different kind of difficult, but the rewards and the fruit. And when you're exhausted and, and you hear, oh yeah, you know, you get a phone call or a text message and it's like what you did, like even when you were obedient to him and you, and you said something or you did something, um, you spoke truth and love, you know, and you get to hear about, you know, how it impacted someone, changed someone, they're thinking differently now, um, or just raising awareness. I mean, all those things, you know, um, that just ignites the fire more within. Yeah. And I love it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I'm going to end on this question. It's kind of my signature question that I always ask guests who share their personal story, because I think it's, I think it's a really powerful way to end. If you were to issue your children a warning in hopes of them never finding themselves in a similar situation as you did spiritually, what red flag would you want them to be most aware of? Hmm. Um, you know, I just, you know, the, the Bible holds the full authority, you know, and, um, some things are going to sound right, sound, um, loving, uh, make life a little bit easier, but, um, always go back to the word and ask him for discernment 
for understanding he will provide. And that's one of the things I'm trying to do with one of my daughters who I homeschool right now is I'm just helping her to think critically. And one of the things that we, the mottos in Rosho Christie is ask better questions. Um, I like the method from Mama Bear Apologetics, you know, the chew and spit method. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. I love that one too, you know? Um, so yeah, I just, you know, after saying all that, the Bible holds the full authority. Um, and just to always go back to God's word. What does God's word say about it?